0: Hollywood is rated LGBT radio starring your host Rob Watson. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this installment of rated LGBT radio and I am your host Rob Watson. Um, As always, we have a really intriguing, wonderful program lined up for you. Um, Today, our subject is going to be the issue of LGBTQ youth homelessness. Um, This is a problem that is across the country, and if you look at youth homeless statistics, LGBTQ youth are disproportionately high in all of those st- statistical numbers. Um, a lot of LGBTQ youth end up on the street um, because of rejection mm-hmm. and intolerant homes. Um, the uh, ones who end up in foster care um, oftentimes go to group homes, and then when they turn, as soon as they turn 18, um, they're pushed out. And so it is, it is a big problem. Um, Today's special guest, who will be coming on in a few minutes, is a good friend of mine, uh, Valerie Arno. Valerie is the case manager um, for LGBTQ Home Host and Home Host Recruiter uh, for the Bill Wilson Center in Santa Cruz County. Um, So we're going to hear um, about that program specifically um, and what's being done, Um, and hopefully is being emulated across the country, but uh, we are going to see what the local program uh, is doing to offset this and what people listening who are from that area can do to help. Um, Before we bring uh, Valerie on, I do want to welcome to the show um, my co-host, who is a renowned journalist and editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine, Brody Levesque. Brody, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Rob. Good afternoon, good morning, good day, and thanks to all of our listeners by podcast around the world. We really appreciate you subscribing. Um, well, the House of Mouse and Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis have been engaged in a bitter brawl for about roughly a month. And today, the state of Florida's legislative branch up the ante and passed a bill that will dissolve Walt Disney World's 55-year-old self-government by June of 2023. This, of course, was uh, something that Governor DeSantis called for on Tuesday. In a fundraising uh, email yesterday. The governor wrote, Disney and other Walt corporations won't get away with headling their unchecked pressure campaigns any longer. DeSantis continued, if we want to keep the Democratic machine and their corporate lapdogs accountable, we will have to stand together now. For those of our listeners that aren't sure what this is about, the governor of the state of Florida and the world's literally largest media conglomerate locked horns over a law that DeSantis signed last month it was called the Parental Rights in Education Act. Most of us just call it the "Don't Say Gay" law. It was a measure that was poorly and vaguely written that would make it basically illegal for any school teachers K through about three or four to have any mention at all whatsoever uh, in the classroom or in instructional material that had to do with same-sex couples same-sex families, LGBTQ, LGBTQ+, the list goes on. The problem is that the law is what we call a camel nose under the tent flap law, which means that the camel sticks his nose under the tent flap to get in, and if you don't shove him out, pretty soon you're going to end up with a whole damn camel in your tent. It's an old bedlam, uh parable. The problem is that With this law, the way it's written, that's exactly what would happen. You would find educators and school administrators in grades above K-3 all the way up to 12th grade, basically, essentially marginalizing or banning discussion of LGBTQ and LGBTQ people. The law was opposed by a massive amount of people. And at first, the Disney Corporation actually tried to stay out of it, and they caught a lot of flack for it, especially when you consider that the Disney Company is the largest employer in the state of Florida. And in Central Florida, they are literally the largest property owner outside of the villages, which is a retirement center about roughly 45 minutes up the road from them uh, in terms of acreage and size. In 1967, Roy Disney, who had taken over the company from his brother, Walt, who had passed away in December of 66, um, as part of the agreement to build Disney World, had petitioned a then-Republican governor and a then-Republican-controlled controlled legislature to allow the Disney company to create what's known as a special taxation district. It's essentially a self-governing thing. And that meant that Disney would be responsible for everything from – fire, police, the garbage, anything that you can imagine that a local county or city government would do, the Reedy Creek Improvement District, which is what it's officially known as, would take care of it for the Disney property. And for the last 55 years, that arrangements worked fairly well. Most people view that this action this week taken by Governor DeSantis and the Republican controlled legislature is no more than just political retribution and revenge for the Disney company who finally did say something about this onerous law after a lot of outside pressure. And I think a lot of soul searching within the Disney company itself, including by Disney CEO, Bob Chappick, um, which immediately turned into a feud. Well, the legislature today in Florida capped the feud off. It's now law. They passed it. They'll send it to the Santas for a signature and that will give, uh, I think, the ending date for this thing of effect is June of 2023. Now, there's a caveat right. built into the law that would basically allow for a, oops, sorry, my bad, if they came to some sort of agreement. However, that's not very likely. Um, so well, what is a the couple, real world couple things. Effect? Yeah, a couple things,
0: Rudy. One, the, the one of the issues with that law, the not this law, but the law that was passed before isn't just, you know, your camel under the nose under the tent analogy. But the, the law itself, even for um, elementary school, is too vague. And, you know, they, they don't define what those discussions would be. I mean, nobody is prop- proponents of graphic sexual discussions in front of first, second, third graders and kindergartners. Nobody. Um, so the idea that somehow the law is about that is ridiculous. But where the the issue comes in is such discussions about gender um, uh, affirmation and sexual orientation comes in the form of, you know, Susie's friend Billy has two moms, you know, it's like, and, you know, and her questions as to why he has two moms instead of, a mom and a dad, and answering that question. Plus, the ramifications of that law are to allow anybody who feels their feathers ruffled in any way to bring a lawsuit, um, which is, you know, very oppressive. I mean, it is, it is oppressive for anybody to, to talk about, mention anything having to do with LGBTQ families. Um, the other question I have for you is on this law. So you mentioned that that Disney has been in control of their own fire station, police force, all of that. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Obviously,
0: the idiots of Florida have not thought this out. Since to your point, this was done for only one reason, which is political retribution. Um, is Disney's recourse to say, "Okay, fine"? <laughs> you handle the fire. you handle the police um for you know the the area um what what is, are the results of this going to be
1: well that's actually something i was about to get into when you started talking about the law so uh, the the problem with what the legislature did today is that the termination of the reedy creek agreement and improvement act would first of all, automatically transfer about roughly $2 billion worth of debt immediately to the taxpayers. Um, that is going to result, and my colleagues and I have actually been working on this. I've been working uh, with colleagues at Inside the Magic and over at uh, the Orlando Sentinel. We figured out that the immediate impact on Florida taxpayers will be a tax bill per household of approximately 3,000 and some change in that immediate area. That's the first thing. The second thing is that it immediately uh, is going to heavily burden law enforcement and fire for the counties of Orange and Osceola, which is what is the geographic area that uh, Reedy Creek sits in. The other part of it is that even if the city of Orlando were to annex Reedy Creek, which is a theoretic possibility, it would prove to be a monstrous debt to the city of Orlando. And then, of course, you've got the infrastructure. You know, Disney right now takes care of everything from trash collection to sewage to you name it. If that suddenly gets passed off as part of the whole package to the taxpayers in any of those three jurisdictions, you know, Disney obviously is still got to maintain its workforces and do what it's doing. It's not like they're going to suddenly throw their hands up in the air and say, "Okay, well, you guys come get the track. But what's going to happen is in the billing sequences and cycles and responsibilities for waste and waste removal and recycling. Once it leaves Disney property, the counties are going to be responsible. Now you're going to have to add another fleet of garbage trucks just to handle that. So it it, it becomes a mess. I mean, it just overall. No, this wasn't very well thought, thought through. This could punch a big hole in the economy in Central Florida and maybe throughout the entire state of Florida. Um, but the one thing that we've learned from the Florida Republican Party, they don't care. They, they they, really, honestly, truly do not care. While the debate was going on over this bill today in the Florida House, there was an equally onerous and nasty piece of legislation that was being fought over, and that was Governor DeSantis that vetoed the congressional redistricting maps that had been drawn up by the legislature, in particular over two congressional districts in northeastern Florida, which are predominantly African-American. And the governor had his staff redraw those things, which severely chopped up those congressional districts and broke one of them apart. Well, that got black lawmakers in the state all sorts of pissed off. So the Disney bill was happening simultaneous with the battle over the redistricting maps, which, by the way, was passed through. The easiest way of describing this, and, of course, people are shaking their heads, but it's true, is DeSantis and these Republicans are a throwback to Jim Crow-era politicians. They're racist. They're homophobic. The vast majority of them are extremists. And hey, quite a few of them are, quite frankly, ignorant. They're not stupid, but they're very ignorant. And it's craven ignorance. And so what's going to end up happening here is that this could break the back, you know, on the Florida uh, tax system, and this is going to cause some severe economic impact, let alone some of the strife that's going to occur out of the idiot, racist bills that were just signed by the DeSantis. But the bottom line, and, and the real rap show about this entire thing is, this is the Republican Party, and it's the same in Texas, Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama. Alabama which just passed a law that makes treating transgender kids a class six felony. As a matter of fact, that one got challenged yesterday in U.S. federal court by the American Civil Union and the Southern Poverty Law Center to try and get an emergency injunction to stop the law before it takes effect on May 8th. But the entire thought process here is aimed. Now, how does all of this fit in? And I'm going to wrap this up. How does this all fit in? Your friend who's sitting patiently on the phone runs a center for kids in Santa Cruz County, California. California is an extremely liberal state, and it's generally pretty good to escape it. But you still have a lot of kids, even in this state, that get kicked out of their houses by people who think just like those politicians do in Florida, Alabama, and Texas. And a lot of those kids don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. And according to uh, Ami Paley uh, at the Trevor Project, whose services to prevent youth suicide have just skyrocketed in terms of calls on their helplines, this is the real-world impact. You know, and people like Valley that are running these centers and these shelters for these kids are going to see a lot more of that. It's because it does have real-world impact. These kids are going to look at that and just throw their hands up in the air and, and just, you know, some of them are just going to flat out give up. The other ones, like a couple we've had on our show recently from Florida, yeah, you better believe they're going to fight it and then some. But the problem is this is the thought process, and this is the reality of Republican politics right now. Arizona, a couple of ugly things. I mean, I just had one of my reporters finish up a piece, which is this week's cover story in the LA Play magazine. This year alone, Rob, over 300-plus pieces of anti-LGBTQ legislation have been put out there in 31 states. The year before, about 250. So we have a grand total of almost 700 in just two years. These Republicans do not care. They hide behind their disturbed, warped view of their so-called religious beliefs. They hide behind their party politics. And they hide behind what most of us call the ick syndrome. They don't want to deal with anything that's not lily white, okay, and 1950s sliced bread. Because now suddenly that's icky. If it's transgender, ooh, ick. If it's queer, ooh, ick. If it's gay, ooh, ick. And then some. So that's what we're dealing with.
0: Well, I can tell you in Florida, the one thing that will supersede that is seniors having to pay more money. And I know plenty of seniors, and I don't care what your principles are, if you try to charge them more, which is sounds like a huge uptick of what the Republicans are doing there, they are not going to like that. So that, that, could, um, that could tank them, but uh, we'll see.
1: Like, so I do mean, will I disagree. But, you know, when DeSantis trotted out this, you know, anti-Disney thing and when he trotted out the don't say gay law, he went to the villages, which is seriously, it, it is a almost 100 square mile zone of, you know, retirees. Ninety six percent of them demographically are white. OK. And the last polling that was done in the villages, nearly 70 percent were Republican or Trumpers bumpers. Okay, so, you know, them whining about their tax, bill. I don't know if they're going to or not. You know, they're pretty crazy. <laughs> trust they me. To, you know?
0: No, <laughs> no, 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 I, I This I know. They will, they, they may, you know, he may come out and go, oh, bad Disney and oh, bad gay people and oh, bad black people. But when they open their mail and they have to pay more, trust me that will cause <laughs> great consternation. That that that, oh, is, that so. is that is that is that is the secret hot button there that, that you know uh, you know, this is not thought through well and if it comes back blow back on them, um, they will not be happy about it. But, I mean, you know, anyway, that's uh that's my prediction. I think the, the redistricting is more of an issue um ultimately. Um, that that hopefully a court will overturn anything that is is terribly outrageous. But um, you know, the the voting system is, is the Achilles heel because uh, that that gives us no recourse if we can't get people in place to fight this crap.
1: True. Sure. Agreed. Okay.
0: So let's let's move on. And um, with that, waiting very patiently in the wings, I'd like to welcome to the show Valerie Orno. Valerie, welcome.
2: Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate this opportunity.
0: Oh, it's it's thrilling it's, uh, to to talk to you on the radio again. You were on my um, uh, out in Santa Cruz show at least once, I think,
2: if not more. Yeah. Way long time ago. <laughs> yeah, well, I we, was surprised. Won't.
0: we won't. We won't. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah, Valerie and I both worked on Santa Cruz together and um, are veterans of that. And now, Val- Valerie, tell us about first. Tell us about the Bill Wilson Center itself.
2: Oh, I'm happy to. Yeah, this organization is incredible. I, I feel uh, extremely. Uh, fortunate to be able to work with this organization. Um, Bill Wilson Center actually has been around for 49 years. Uh, It started back in 73 when Bill Wilson Jr. uh, started uh, helping some troubled youth um, while running a bakery. and then uh, eventually was um a councilman at, from 63 to 71 in Santa Clara County and then had a short term uh mayoral ship uh back in uh in the 60s as well um and while doing all of that he collaborated with some folks at Santa Clara University and then created a proposal for a counseling center um and created this counseling center and uh, in doing so this all evolved into eventually um, a center for runaways uh, that was uh, originally not called the Bill Wilson Center. Um, it was it had a, a different name, but when Bill um, unfortunately passed. Um, it was originally called the Webster Center is what it was called, but um, when it opened in in 1973, um, but um, when Bill passed uh, in May of 77, the board of directors decided that in his memory, they wanted to go ahead and make it uh, the Bill Wilson Center. So Bill Wilson Center has been around since then. And we serve a multitude of youth. We have, um, I want to say, up to 70 programs um, over in Santa Clara wow. County. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, we have uh, many different programs over there. However, in Santa Cruz County, we currently have our shared housing host home program. And that started just before the pandemic. Ah, well, good timing.
0: Um, so, <laughs> the um, so just to clarify, um, Bill Wilson Jr. was not related to Twelve Step Bill Wilson, correct?
2: Correct, correct. Okay. And thank you for offering up that clarity because often people get that confused. No, he he is not and was not uh the bill wilson of of um aa he is and was or he was a gentleman that just had a passion for young people and for um you know mental health and um for making um what we are creating here now which is a sense of community where you know, we can create generations of connecting youth and families to education and employment and housing and positive relationships.
0: That's, that is so awesome. Um, can you, um, I've described it at the, the top of the hour, but uh, can you give us a little more insight to the challenge of um, what young LGBTQ people have in terms of how they become homeless and what the problems are when, once that happens?
2: Oh, absolutely. And it's really varied, Rob. It, it's, it's not a, um, a simple little box. Just as mm-hmm. each human being is different, each situation is different. But often what happens, as you and I both know, um, when a youth comes out, as we like to say, they are often put out. Um, And Mm -hmm. that's highly unfortunate. Um, A lot of our youth that are unhoused are hidden, and they are in the invisible population. Many of them couch surf. Many of them Mm -hmm. are sleeping in their cars. Many of them are working and going to school.
0: And, and, and people just, don't realize and just that. Living, uh, Yeah, so they're 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 actively trying to pull their lives together. They just simply have to spend the night on other people's couches, sleep in their cars, or worse. Because um, I think you mentioned that some some sleep in the woods. Um, some are the people that many are sleeping in sleeping bags on sidewalks.
2: Correct, you and know, there are a that, lot of those yeah. as well. The reason, I, the reason I point out the first batch is because oftentimes people associate unhoused homeless youth with drugs, with theft, right. with crime. And it isn't always that. It, you know, they, we have some hardworking kids within our community, young adults, not kids, they're young adults. My program supports. 18 to 24-year-olds, that's the precipice of when you are becoming an adult and really need that support. And Mm -hmm. they're not looking for another mom and dad. They're looking for guidance, mentorship, and support so that they can gain those wings they need to be able to fly.
0: Right. 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 Um, can you also talk to the uh, the group of um, young people that essentially were in foster care in their teens and then um, what happens to them once they age out?
2: Yeah, that, and that does depend on the youth as well because of the way the foster care system works. Um, some can... Um, Come unaccompanied, um, oh gosh, I forget the exact language, but um, they can stay in but not in a foster home up until I believe it's 21, but I'm not really well versed on that portion. But those that age out and don't stay in a foster home up till 21, when they're 18, they can be dropped. And it's unfortunate because they they don't have anywhere to go. They they're just they're on their own. Um, if the, if they don't stay in, and if they do stay in, they still they still don't have the capacities. Um, they they might get the check, but they don't have a home. And mm-hmm. rent, as you know, in this county, um, is absorbent. It's it's ridiculous. A room right. for rent right now. I just pulled it up before we went on <laughs> because it changes uh-huh. every day. A room for rent, not a apartment with a single room. We're talking in someone else's home. A, the average room for rent right now today is twelve hundred and ninety three dollars. Wow. Yeah, let that sink in Insane. when you When you're when you're earning fourteen dollars an hour, if you're lucky, and you're getting maybe twenty five hours a week, if you're lucky. Right, right. Um, And I do think,
0: and I'm not uh, like you, I'm not totally versed in this, but I do think a lot of the kids that are in group homes that did not get placed in a foster care home, I think that is a cutoff at eighteen, out of the group home. Um, I may yes. be wrong. I
2: believe you're correct on that as well. I yeah. I am fortunate that I was able to serve um, several youth that were able to that were in, that had been in the foster care system that were able to qualify for what is called a family reunification program or a FUP voucher through Housing Authority. And they were able to get that in this past year, in this past fiscal year, um, and we are, are now searching for housing within our county um, where landlords will hopefully accept that voucher. That's the next uh, barrier to cross is finding right. landlords in the county that will now accept them um, with that voucher. So we, we have e- yeah. each barrier that we cross. We, we work at knocking it down, and, and they learn patience and they get there.
0: <laughs> well, thank God for <laughs> you for, for doing that. Um, I do know, and I will point out, just knowing the foster care system, that kids who come in who, you know, are late teens and everything else, they are of the hardest to place in a foster care home. Uh, most, I mean, first of all, they're not in a foster care homes anyway, but the ones there are tend to go towards Babies, little children, you know, um, younger right. kids, and and right. so, um, it, you know, it's these kids are, and this is kind of my point is, and to your point of, of the next challenge and the next challenge, these are kids, and they're, you know, it's like this has got to be just exhausting to, exactly, you
2: know,
0: fight one battle after another, a battle after another battle, and at the end of the day, still be barely getting by. That is. You know, this is this is hard stuff. Um, it is. It now is. let's switch to your program, though. Let's let's go to the program and what what you have to help.
2: Well, we have a lot that we can provide. Um, I, I, with the program, I can tell you that the program started in 2019, and that that year was ramping it up, getting the word out into the community, um, and trying to cultivate some host homes. The way the host homes work is we find people within the community that have spare bedrooms that are willing to open their home and become the mentors that these young adults are are needing, Um, and there is training involved. And I come with that. Uh, that they aren't out in the wind (laughs) once we move someone in. (laughs) Um, I I, They get me as well. Um, And then we match the host with the youth. You don't, it's not a, okay, you said yes, and now here you get someone. It has to be a fit. And there's a process involved in that as well. Um, And then once the youth, and the host match, then there is a move-in process as well. And then the youth would stay three to six months in that home. And there's weekly check-ins with me. And, you know, hopefully it works to where the host and the youth will, you know, bond and start to bring about a normality to the youth in, in their daily life. We have to remember, these youth have had trauma, and that mm-hmm. trauma has impacted them on a level that is unseen to us as, as the adults. You know, we might view it as they're being lazy. Well, they're not being lazy. They're, they are they are Feeling a lack of motivation because of that trauma they're they're in their room licking their wounds or hibernating so that they can rejuvenate and come back to the world
1: mm-hmm.
2: because they've been through so much. so it's important for the host to be trained to be able to recognize that and encourage gently those those types of things. Um, so that's the first step for the host. The youth works with me on a multitude of things. We start by getting to know each other and I meet them where they're at and get to know them. Um, everything, the, some of the services is everything from medical, dental, mental health services, getting them connected, to food support, schooling, transportation, yeah, employment services. I like to call them their um, when we talk about the different services, financial education, um, you know, um, schooling, it, their education and their schooling, their uh, employment education, their social education, mm-hmm. their medical education, it's all education. Every, everything's about educating them on adulting. So we, we're very well-rounded in the services th- that they get. What I can tell you is this um, in 2020, the pandemic hit. So 19 was when we started, and we were trying to recruit the host homes. And then 2020 hit, and the pandemic and the fires, and so there was a breaking, you know, there was a halt. <laughs> and there weren't a lot of clients, and there weren't a lot of host homes because of the right. pandemic. And then 21 came, and I came on board, And when I came on board, I had one client and I had one host home. And then we at Bill Wilson worked very diligently and we bumped it up. And last year we were able to serve 12 individuals in our community. And 88% of our clients ended up in permanent housing through the collaboration of support with the county in all of our services together, working together with everyone in the county. Bill Wilson Center was able to support and house permanently, 88% of those clients. 67% of those clients were able to increase their income, increase, while being unhoused during that period of time, trying to get there and then getting there four of those clients were former foster care youth and they ended up getting the voucher. Oh, that's good. That, that, um, that was all during the recovery of a pandemic and we're still in it. We're still trying to recruit.
0: Yeah. I'm just wondering where people, where the the kids that are who are, are at risk for this um, are actually going during the pandemic. I mean, it's, and they, they obviously are not just disappearing. They're, they are hiding out somewhere. Um,
2: well, some were, some were in the shelters. Uh, some were hiding. The, the other piece that we work diligently on is gaining trust. Trust is a large piece that is a barrier. For for myself as a case manager and as a mm-hmm. as a home host recruiter. I have to gain the trust of the hosts in the community that are going to open their homes and we as an organization have to gain the trust of the youth. So it takes a minute. But we're getting yeah. there. And,
0: and having, light, Oscar. having Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead.
2: (laughs) No, I was just going to say, and having, you know, opportunities like this to be able to share that there's even a program out there like this is one more way of getting the word out that, you know, this community, this is an interesting um, program that not all communities have for their youth. So Santa Cruz has this, and it's out there getting the word out to our community that we have a housing program for LGBTQ youth and their allies to find housing, you know, but we need host homes and we can't house them if we don't have the host homes. So we need folks to open their homes is phenomenal. This opportunity is a gift. We appreciate it very much.
0: Right yeah the thing I wanted to mention is, and I don't want to over i don't want to emphasize this as um a prime motivation for somebody to do this, just like um it is something that has to do with foster care um in both instances, I think the main motivation has got to be the intent to enhance the person's life and help um the, either the child or the young adult in need, mm-hmm. but there is a stipend paid to the home um, yes. for the, um, the young adult to, to be there. Um, do you want to talk about yes. that a little bit?
2: Yes, there is a, there is a stipend, um, absolutely, and that stipend is paid to the host, and the host is not expected to financially support the youth. The youth is required to you know take care of themselves. This is all part of learning to become an independent young adult. Um, they go into this even though it's it's an interesting dynamic and relationship because while the host is the host, they also are a pseudo landlord so it's it's also helping the youth learn how to interact with someone who is has the potential to write a reference letter for them, you know, and, and, and how did they behave as a a tenant as a, for a lack of a better, even they are a pseudo tenant. Um, So they don't have to buy their food. They don't buy their cleaning products. Um, We help the youth with that. Um, one of the things I make sure is, you know, do they have CalFresh? If they don't, let's get you taken care of on that. Because they do qualify for that, and that is a right that they have in this state, and they should get it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's one of the first things we do. And get them taken care of, of that, and then I help them budget. And I help teach them how to shop appropriately, how to cook. If you need to learn how to cook, I'll teach you. I mean, these are all the supports that are built into the program to help them thrive. You know, it's not about giving you a fish. It's about teaching you how to fish so that you can do this. Um, And again, the host is compensated with the stipend to offset, you know, some utilities and, and, you know, whatever. Um, It's not massive. Uh, However, it does help for sure, um, but the youth is required. You know, They have to be in school or working. They can't just sit around. This isn't, mm-hmm. a oh, goody, I found a room and I get to chill and play Xbox now. No, it, this is, again, it's about building up your skills and, and becoming that, that really functioning, and you know, we set goals and all of that
0: yeah just, just awesome. What um and I know you cannot divulge any um individuals privacy or, or um um specifics, but what kind of things have you observed um in this program success stories?
2: Oh my gosh. The resiliency of these folks is Sometimes it makes me speechless, I will be very honest with you. I am honored to be able to serve these young people. Um, I wake up every morning just feeling so blessed. The, the, some of the, I cannot go into detail, but some of the stories that that, that I feel truly unworthy to be able to hear, but yet for some reason they trust me enough to share with me can be horrifying what they have lived through and yet are still here, not giving up and they thrive through it. Um, Graduate, start businesses, raise children, uh, work three jobs, literally work three jobs, you know, and, and come into my office when they first start, come into my office feeling with no hope. And by the time we are done, and even not when we're done, even while we're in the midst of it all, come in happily, laughter. You know, trying to find, instead of looking at the cup as hassle, they start looking at it as refillable. You know, it, it's, they they are incredible. And remind me daily that we need to remember that they're not just our future. They are our present. They are here now. And we need to be giving better care to them.
0: Yeah, and I hope. LGBTQ homes um, take note, um, because these these are our kids. As a community, I mean, if we want to walk around talking about the LGBTQ community, we expect legal protection. We expect, you know, um, cultural protection, and at the media level, you know, we expect our newspapers like the LA Blade to service us. Then. We need to step up and we need to take care of our kids as well. And the school is, is part of that. Yeah. Um and, and that in, is, in you, that you
2: know, in that Rob I would also add that we yeah. need to also um protect the allies of as well because we want to make sure that we, there's not that segregation.
0: Right. Right, absolutely. Um mm-hmm. you you those that the kids this are is, Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, no. I noted (laughs) what? (laughs) Uh, Finish finish your thought. Finish your thought. You're talking about allies.
2: Oh, no, I was just saying it's it's important that we don't segregate the, the allies from the LGBTQ youth because sometimes I think that happens to them and they get left out. We need them as much.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, definitely. I mean, and, and, and it's, you know, even in the allyship um, there is a benefit of the community of, I mean, the community is really um, a community of be your authentic self across the board. And even, even for allies or even, you know, cisgender people who are not trans, it's like we benefit from that message and that, spirit in that that fight to allow every each individual one of us to to be ourselves um now i wanted to ask you you had mentioned that this was you know part of the the blessing of being in the santa cruz
2: community Mm -hmm. and
0: in the silicon valley community that we have unique programs is this program are there other communities that do have this program i realize they don't all but is this um is this model being duplicated elsewhere?
2: Yes. There is one in San Francisco. There are some, I believe there's one in Las Vegas, Philadelphia. Um, there are several throughout um, the United States. I don't know every single city, but they're not, you know, they're not everywhere. They're not um You know, as common as like a shelter, Um, and and it would be lovely if if we had more of these and less of shelters, because it would Mm -hmm. mean that our communities were taking care of each other. It you know, one of the things that on my list to do is to hit every single solitary faith organization within our county, every faith community within our county and give them an opportunity to rise as well because it's important that we put our money where our mouth is and if we're gonna preach that we're gonna love one another then we need to open our doors to one another and accept everybody right. as they are right, right. so
0: <laughs> yeah no absolutely it's like walk the talk you know yeah
2: like, exactly it's,
0: it's one thing exactly it, even even in progressive um uh, yes. organizations where where it's like you know love love and hugs on sunday morning yep. you know but yep. you know op, open your home on a thursday night you know it's like yes. Um, yes. yeah yeah definitely and that's what that's I, why I,
2: i'm i'm looking to work with the diversity center and i'm looking to work with all of the faith communities and i'm looking to work with all of the medical communities i am looking to network with everyone out there that touches a transitional age youth, 18 to 24, anybody with an earshot, I'm coming.
0: That, that's <laughs> We're going to get these kids out. Um, yeah. I actually have, I have a couple of ideas for you off the air, which I'll, I'll call you about but, um, too. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I do hope that, um, you know, our audience is, nationwide and we are listened to by a lot of the equality organizations across the country and yeah. I hope they take some inspiration on this in their own community to look into this kind of um, structure and program for for those communities mm-hmm. as well I mean it's um, the one thing I love about Santa Cruz Santa Cruz has historically been a forerunner in thought leadership in especially LGBTQ youth care. Um, we're we've have several decades plus of the um, queer youth leadership awards awarding kids from from schools um, that have shown LGBTQ leadership, which you know I know of nowhere else that has. Um, I, I know very few places that have that kind of program. Number one, and number two, no one has it for the legacy time that Santa Cruz does. So um, exactly, you know, I think I think this is part of our our culture here. Thank goodness, and um, and just my complete love and admiration for you for doing what you're doing. I mean, you are you are absolutely <laughs> a hero um, of our community here and. We're very lucky to have you. Um, well, I that's very kind of Brody, you, but I'm
2: you. actually blessed to do what I do.
0: <laughs> well, of course, and what what else would a hero say But that? <laughs> <laughs> nice try. <laughs> Doesn't make you less of a hero.
1: <laughs> Brody, what are, do you have any thoughts or questions? Well, one of the things that I'd like to know, and this is only because Uh, with a lot of work that I've done, especially over the last few years as editor of the Los Angeles Blade, is how are you guys situated in terms of trans youth? Right now, currently, the transgender population is at the tip of the spear of the Christian right and these far-right radical Republicans and the people fighting the culture wars. And we've Mm -hmm. seen, at least according to the statistics that I'm getting from the Trevor Project um, and the equality uh, groups on the ground, such as Equality Texas and Equality Florida uh, in particular, Uh, and, of course, obviously now in Alabama where they criminalize transgender youth care, health care, that is. is And, again, California is different. I, I completely get that. But what is your percentage of clients that you were seeing uh, that are trans or identify as non-binary or queer identify?
2: Um, I, as far as percentage, I don't have a percentage for you on on that. I can tell you that um, I, out of my grouping of youth, I have had two that identify as trans, and I have had one, two that identify as non-binary. Um, however, it, the, here's the challenge: youth don't necessarily um, I, um, give that up as quickly and as easily as an adult might, meaning an older adult. So, um, and they're getting that information on an intake is a little difficult because they don't know you. So, asking those kinds of very intimate Personal questions is a little difficult um, in the way that the intakes are done or the assessments are done. There are some changes going on right now within the county for assessments so that we can gain more knowledge in that area. Um, however, The trans community, the non-binary community, all of that community is, I am actively trying to make sure that they are aware that they are welcome within this program. This is what this program is for. It's not just gay, lesbian. It's not just binary. It is all LGBTQAI. All the alphabet is in there for this program. Um, I've been very fortunate that I've had the privilege of working with and helping support learning from, educating with,
1: all. Okay. It's just a question that, you know, we ask frequently uh, in Los Angeles, of course, uh, the flagship is the LGBT Center in Hollywood. Um, And on the streets of Los Angeles County, which includes about roughly 88 different jurisdictions, including the city of Los Angeles. The homeless population right now currently is at about 56,000 people. Of that, yeah. we know that a very high percentage are identifying as LGBTQ. And out of that number, an even higher percentage are actually youth. Now, the LGBT Center of Los Angeles, which runs a program for kids, um, addresses that only to a certain point. But one of the problems that uh, they're telling us and, and other equality groups are telling us uh, is that not enough attention is being paid to trans use and non-binary, queer-identifying use of color, particularly Latino or Black. And in Santa Cruz County, I would imagine uh, that would factor in terms of the Watsonville area down that way, the southern part of the county, in terms of Latino use. So I guess my question there would be, um, if you're looking at the percentage of kids that are coming out identified that way, or even identifying as gay or lesbian, what type of problems or situations have you run into in terms of homelessness and acute problems in those type of scenarios with the Latino population?
2: Well, the the really the question is what problems are we running into with the homeless population of our transitional age youth? Because they all are having the exact same problem. And that is that there is no affordable housing for any single one of these youth. First and foremost, the housing prices are ridiculous. A room is $1,293 today. Just a bedroom. A studio is today, just a studio. So that is the question. What are we going to do about that for these young adults who are working, going to school, and yes, LGBTQ, yes, Latina, yes, African-American, yes, marginalized, fall into that, absolutely, but the big question is what are we going to do about getting these folks housed how are we going to take care of that that's what I'm tackling and, yeah. all, and then, all, of the, uh, all of the subcategories th- mm-hmm. they fall right in there with me yep. and with this organization well, to make sure they're served equally
0: and quickly Valerie because uh, we're running out of time how do people get a hold of you and uh, the organization
2: Yes, that is the best question of the entire day. And I appreciate you asking me that. So I can be reached at V-A-R-N-O at org.
0: And that is a B as in Victor, not B as in boy. F-I- Correct. V trying. is in
2: Victor. Yeah. A is an apple. Yeah.
0: And is yes. there a website? And you can you you can, can also
2: into. go to yes. I was just going to say you can also go um, over to the Bill Wilson Center um, website if you are interested in that. Um, and that is BillWilsonCenter.org. There you
0: go. Okay, so I'm encouraging two groups of people here. One, local people to check this out, local as in local Santa Cruz area, and um, check this out and see what you can do to be part of this. But I'm also encouraging people in other um, areas of the country, um, look at this program. You guys probably need this too. Um, you know, we have some unique problems, but you have them too. So um, thank you, Valerie, for joining us today. Thank you especially for everything you're doing. I want to thank Brody for his work, um, you know, journalistic-wise on the L.A. Blade and being part of this show. And I want to thank our listeners. We will be back again next week with another fascinating, relevant show. I guarantee you of that. I have no idea what we're going to talk about but I can guarantee you it will be all of that Um, so stay tuned, listen to us, listen to our back episodes, we have some really good ones there in the archives so don't stop listening now, keep on going and with that we will see you again next week You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio